mentality, which is totally an American issue, where it's like we, if we give it away, we won't have it, and we don't have enough, so we have to fortify everything, but God doesn't function on a scarcity economy. God functions on an abundance economy, and in God's abundant economy, He owns cattle on a thousand hills, and when we honor the Lord with our possessions, He's like, well, listen, because they're going to be faithful honoring me with possessions, I can give them possessions because they will always honor me with it. A person that is unteachable never grows. Whether you're an athlete, an artist, or a pastor, everyone must be teachable. For spiritual growth, we need to learn from the Father. Pastor Daniel explains why humility is vital to strengthening our relationships with God. We all live in a world where people are seen as self-sufficient planets, revolving around nothing. In fact, when we allow God to guide our paths and give up our selfishness, we're free. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Steroids for Spiritual Growth. The key for us is to be willing to acknowledge, God, I struggle with trusting you here, and I make decisions based on my limited understanding here, 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 and here. And God, I want to learn how to submit and surrender to you because you know how to better live my life than I ever could beautiful. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now notice that acknowledgement. In all of your ways, not, it doesn't say in all of your thoughts. It speaks of a life of action. And you and I, our lives spiritually are lived out every day. We know what is in our hearts by how we choose to live every day. God doesn't want just our words to acknowledge him, but our actions to acknowledge him. Our actions are the windows into where our heart's treasures are. Brothers and sisters, what testimony does our actions have? See, I love how the Lord personalizes everything. It's never about it being somebody else's thing. It's like, no, what do I do? Do you ever notice that when someone does something you don't like, we do something, if we look at it, that we don't like either, but we feel justified in doing it because the other person did it? Oh, well, they're acting that way, so I'm going to act this way. See, we are responsible for the way in which we live. And when you and I, in our ways, acknowledge him, when we say, God, not only is my belief grid yours, but my whole life is yours, how I live and move and have my being, I want to acknowledge you. Because when we do that, it says, and he shall direct your path. I love that word, shall. It doesn't say he might direct your path. He's like, he will. If we say, Lord, I'm going to surrender completely to you, and I'm not going to lean on my own, I'm not going to find support in what I understand. In all my ways, in the way that I live, God, I'm going to acknowledge you. And then it says, and God will direct your paths. There can only be one leader, my friends. 
You are either driving your own life or you are learning how to trust God and acknowledge him in the ways that you go and he will direct your paths. Many of you, if you look back over your life, you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I know it's God's will. I can't believe that I'm involved in that. I never thought I would do this, but God has led me here. The terrifying thing is if we are doing what we always figured we do, then you got to ask yourself, is this really God's life or am I just doing my life and God, I'm just sprinkling Jesus on top, like sprinkles? Listen to what it says. Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Beautiful. Dwell in the land and feast on his faithfulness. I love that scripture. So powerful. See, when you and I learn how to surrender to the Lord and trust God, we can dwell in that land and there is a feast of God's faithfulness right there. So you want to get bulked up spiritually? You get a new heart tattoo. You write God's stuff on your heart. You learn how to trust and surrender to the Lord. You acknowledge him. You let him direct your past. Now, listen, I believe there's some of you here right now, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. The only way for you to grow spiritually is for you to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do this by the end of the service. You need to make that decision. In some ways, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, if, like if you're completely out of shape, putting your faith and trust in Jesus is literally getting a gym membership and a nutritionist who's going to make all your meals. Like, it's, he has it all covered. So you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to, and, and you might say, look, I don't know how to trust him. I know he'll teach you. He's teaching all of us. But you need to say yes to Jesus. And if you're here today and you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, you got to say, Holy Spirit, you need to search my heart. What am I writing on my heart? What's the, what am I tattooing on? Lord, how am I trusting you? Am I acknowledging you in my ways? Because the beauty is, is that if we bring that to the Lord, there's growing edges in all of us, right? Like we like to say here, we're all in process, right? So there's nobody here who's, Trusting God completely, acknowledging him in all ways completely. And if you think that you are, you know that you're not because you're being proud and lacking self-reflection. So everyone's got it. So we need to say, God, I want you to do a work in my life. Now look at what happens next. Verse 7, Proverbs chapter 3. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You want a steroid for spiritual growth, be humble. Be humble. Notice what it says, verse 7, right there. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. See, when you and I are wise in our own eyes, that's pride. That's what it means. It means I I'm all that in a bag of chips. I understand everything about everything, and I'm good. And when we have a disposition of the heart that is wise in our own eyes, then any discussion about that is absolutely unable to be had. Now, humility is the only proper response of a sentient created being to the wisdom of God. 
because God is all-knowing. He's all, he's all everything, all-knowing, all-powerful, and none of us are that. And what happens is, is that when you and I, because this happens in my heart, so I imagine it happens in yours, you're reading God's word, right? And you can read God's word, and sometimes you read God's word, and you're not even hearing what it's saying. You're just reading it, right? That's a problem, because you're really just saying, my religion tells me to read this book, and I read the book, I get nothing out of it. So that's a problem. So some of you are doing it, you got to stop doing that. You say, God, I need you to speak to me. I want this to reflect my life to me, right? But the other side of it is that when you're reading God's word, God's word is saying things, and you're just like, yeah, no, that's not for me. And that's a big problem, because what you're saying is, God, I already understand all this stuff. Each one of us need to find that place in our heart where we're not wise in our own eyes. We're not puffed up with our own who we are and how far we've come. And we're always saying, God, I want to grow, Lord. I want you to rearrange the way that I think, the way that I do things. I was thinking about that line, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You guys ever hear that line? How many of you use that line? Stop using that line. Because what it is, it's an excuse because of age to say, I can't change. Right? What you're saying is that because I'm older, you can't change me. And that is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus says we're all changing and growing. We're growing up into our head. We never want to get to a point and be like, look, this is the way I am. This is the way I'm always going to be. And so, uh, no. That means you're not walking with Jesus. Because if Jesus is the Lord and we are not, then he can change us and revolutionize us, and he wants to do it. See, no matter how old or young we are, no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord or how short, we all need to stay in a place where I'm not going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm not going to believe my own press clippings. They're really not anybody else's. They're your own that we make up in our own heads to make us feel good about ourselves. And we're going to say, God, I just want to grow. Humility is seeing ourselves as we truly are. When you and I are wise in our own eyes, we are unable to learn, to grow. And many of us, we're not growing spiritually because we're wise in our own eyes. We, we have it down, we know what we're doing, and this is how we're doing it. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Humility is important, my friends. It's the ability to say, I don't know what I don't know. God, you are doing a work in my life. And God, I want to grow. So Lord, teach. Teach me. Lord, let me be teachable by the people around me. Let me learn. Humility is essential for spiritual growth. And again, what we find is that compliance is therapeutic. Again, look at what it says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The idea is that it, it promotes flourishing. Now, what I love about humility as it's described here, fear the Lord and de depart from evil. Humility runs to God and runs from evil. That's what it says there. It's like, if you and I are humble, we're going to run to God, and we're going to run from evil. That is biblical humility. Humility says, I need the Lord because he's the Lord, and I'm going to flee from anything that could pull me away or drag me away, anything that could harm myself or somebody else. So humility, it's a steroid for spiritual growth. Look at what it says in verse 9. And we move now from the internal to the external. We move from the what's going on inside us to what's going on outside. 
honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So quite simply, honor God with your possessions. That's the lesson. That's the point of these verses, that you and I need to honor God with our possessions. That's what it says right there, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. Ask yourself this question. Are you honoring the Lord with your possessions? Are you? Are you sharing in what God has shared with you? Because your possessions are not yours. They're the Lord. Your talents are not yours. They're the Lord's. And you and I need to share what God has shared with us. Now, in some ways, when I get to a point like this, for me, it's easy because when I was a brand new Christian, I was talking to a pastor and I was 20, in my early 20s, and someone, a pastor said, listen, I said, well, so what's up with this whole thing with my possessions and tithing and all this? He said, listen, just give 10% of every penny that you make, you give it to the Lord, you give a little extra as an offering, and then you enjoy the rest. I've said it before. You tithe a tenth, you save a tenth, and then you enjoy the rest. And so for me, I grew up in my life since I got saved, and I've always just done that, right? And so I realized that for a lot of you, you've never done that, right? So here's what I want to encourage you. Here's an action step. Percentage giving. Right now, if you give nothing to the work of the Lord, you should start giving 2 or 3% or 4 or 5%. Just start with a percentage. Everything that comes in, you say, God, I'm going to honor you with my, with my giving. Of, the in, of your first fruits. So you're just like, Lord, because what it teaches us is that our checkbook isn't God. And guess what our biggest struggle in 21st century America is? Is that the checkbook is God. The checkbook determines what life and joy is. And I'm here to tell you, the checkbook is a cruel slave driver if that's the way that you live. And honoring God with our possessions is not about funding the church. It's about us being divorced from the idol of materialism, which has gripped our culture. So yeah, you have to start somewhere. If you're sitting here right now and you're like, yeah, I don't honor God with my possessions. They're mine. I do what I want with them. According to Malachi, it says that you're robbing God. I mean, that's like a pretty nasty statement. So start by giving a percentage. Now, I want to talk to those of you here, and there's many of you here who honor God with your possessions. Like me, like you've developed a lifestyle of doing this. We don't just want to just check this thing off and move on. Okay, yeah, that's not me. God challenged me as I was studying this over the last bunch of weeks. Why don't I raise the percentage of my giving? Should I be spiritually content that I give my tenth and my offering on top of that, and that's it? Does God want to do a deeper work in me? You know what the answer to that question always is? Yeah, it is. God always wants to do a deeper work. You know what it's like when you, when you used to eat a whole thing of Ben and Jerry's every night, and now you just have a whole thing of it like every month, once a month, you cheat once a month, right? You feel good about yourself, right? You're like, yeah, I used to be just like on a diet of Ben and Jerry's. It was dinner and snack, you know, and now I just do it once a month. Doesn't God want to do a deeper work? Because sometimes you get into just to the rhythm of it. And I've sensed the Lord and, you know, and Lynn and I, it's like God wants us to be more generous. Because we're in a group. It's like, we don't ever like, Lord, I want to honor you. Yeah, no, so we give, we give as unto the Lord. A 
tithe and an offering. Great. Been doing it for a long time, our entire marriage. Never missed once. God said, I want to do a deeper work in you. And so for those of you who are, who are biblical givers, not because you have to by law, but because you get to because of the finished work of Jesus, say, God, what's the next step you want me to take? What does it look like for me to trust you and acknowledge you in my financial life in a more profound way than I'm doing right now? I think God wants to take all of us to the next step. Now, what I love about the Bible is that God's ways are upside down. They're backwards. Because notice, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. Give unto the Lord. But notice what the fruit of giving is unto the Lord is. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's like God's like, no, I want you to give to me. And he's like, if you give to me, your barns are going to be filled up and your vats are going to be overflowing. He's saying, look, if you give, I will give you more than you can handle. But for many of us, we think, if I give, I won't have. We have a scarcity mentality, which is totally an American issue, where it's like, we, if we give it away, we won't have it, and we don't have enough, so we have to fortify everything. But God doesn't function on a scarcity economy. God functions on an abundance economy. And in God's abundant economy, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. And when we honor the Lord with our possessions, he's like, well, listen, because they're going to be faithful, honor me with possessions, I can give them possessions because they will always honor me with it. But my friends, the only way we ever learn God doesn't function on a scarcity economy, but on an abundance economy is to actually experience it, to live it out. I'm here to tell you, listen, times have been tight in my home with Lynn and I over the years. You know, there's been times when literally, like, I remember one time we were church planning in New Jersey, and I remember we got invited over someone's house for dinner. We're like, praise God. And then, of course, you say, well, what can I bring? They're like, can you bring five avocados? And we were horrified because we didn't have any avocados or any money. We literally went into the pantry. We took out canned foods. We brought it back to the store. We traded in canned food so we could bring five avocados because we want to be like the poor church planting family. I'll never forget. Ask Lynn, when you see Lynn, say, tell me the avocado story in New Jersey. She'll crack up. It was bad. We're like, we can do it without four cans of beans. We'll just use one can of bean. And we don't really need this tomato paste. We can buy that later, you know? And we were like, we brought it back to the store. They took it all back. We got five avocados. But you know what's amazing when you honor the Lord in your own feelings of scarcity is that every time you watch how God provides for you and you're like, Lord, what do I have to worry about? You know exactly what you're doing. And we have all those God stories of money arriving in the, at the right time in the most unique way. Why? Because God's not scarce, but God wants to do a deep heart work. So brothers and sisters, we need to honor God with our possessions. If you haven't been giving, you need to start giving a percentage, knowing that that's not, you're just starting there. If you're already giving in a biblical sense, you need to say, God, what do you really want to do with my finances? I've been doing this for X number. It's, it's, it's a nice rhythm. God, what does it look like for me to be more generous in a world that is so full of needs? So honor God with your possessions. And then in closing, verse 11, notice what it says. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Brothers and sisters, we need to embrace God's chastening. We need to embrace God's chastening. Now, this is one of those verses that depending on your history, there's all sorts of red flags. Maybe you had a severe father, 
a father who disciplined in anger. And so you read a verse like this, and your physical father did such a lousy job of being a picture of the loving heart of God that you read this and you're like, oh, no. But we don't want to learn our theology based on the most horrific examples of it. We want to learn our theology based on our Bibles and the loving heart of God. And what it says is that don't despise the chastening of the Lord. What it means is that God in his love will correct us. God in his love will discipline us. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, you guys know that this is quoted specifically in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. It's right there, quoted for us. God loves you and I enough to correct us when we're wrong, to discipline us, not because he's angry. I mean, this verse goes to great lengths to say it's not because God is angry. God does it because he loves us. And listen, whom we love, we correct. I love my kids, so I will correct them when they're wrong because I love them. Because I need them to know that if they go through life doing this thing, that there's going to be consequences. Now, for every parent knows that when you're correcting your children, you have to make sure you're doing it in love and not anger, right? And for most of us, we get frustrated with our kids, and so we respond to our kids in anger, and that misportrays the heart of God to our kids. You dads, listen, especially for dads, you are the stand-in for the Lord with your kids, their view of you is going to be their first understanding of God. So you dads, you need to grab this. Moms too, but dads, listen. You need to make sure that if you are frustrated or angry with your children, you need to go apologize for that. You need to say, listen, I'm so sorry. I got frustrated. I got angry. That's not God's heart. God loves you, and I love you, and sometimes my actions betray the person that I know God's making me to be. I think for many of us, though, when God corrects us, we despise it. We push it away. Sometimes God's correction is that conviction of the Holy Spirit on your heart when you say something you shouldn't have said. When you do something wrong and you feel that little prompt to go and confess it and apologize. We need to take those God pauses in our lives. And we need to act on them because that's God's love that proves that we're his kids because he loves us enough to say, I don't want you to be that way. You need to bring that into the light and let grace abound there. For some of us, you're doing something totally wrong and God is throwing up every roadblock and you're just trying to crush your way through it. That's despising the correction of the Lord. He's putting up those roadblocks because he loves you that much. Sometimes I'll pray when we're seeking the Lord on something, I'll say, God, if this is not you, I want you to shut that door and lock it and bolt it that no matter how much energy we put at it, we can't go through the door if we want to. Sometimes God's trying to stop us. Others of us, we have very severe things going on in our life right now that are completely rooted in our rebellion against God. And God is throwing everything in the kitchen sink at us to try and get us to stop before we lose our lives. Jesus is Our hearts break for those being turned away and rejected all over the world because of where they've come from. Like many of you, I have to face my fears about terrorism and balance them with the command Jesus gave me to love, 
Love no matter what. You might be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I help? Well, I urge you first to reach out to us here at Crossroads Community Church. We've been ministering to refugees for many years and we could use your help. Second, and it's gonna sound pretty simple, you need to pray. Pray for those who are suffering all over the world. Pray for our refugees trying to escape terror in their own countries and pray for President Donald Trump and the rest of the leadership of our country. And we wanna help you to remember to pray for all of these things. I wear a leather bracelet that says real on it. Whenever I look at this bracelet, it reminds me that Jesus is real in my life and I'm utterly and completely blessed. I also remember to pray for those who are fleeing tyranny. I'm gonna turn this over to Josh so that you can learn more about supporting refugees and help us here at Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Truly, the plight of the refugees is urgent. Throughout the month of March, we want to make available to you the same leather bracelet that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. It simply says real on it. When you wear this bracelet, you'll be reminded of God's love in your life and those that are less fortunate. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you the real bracelet as a thank you. Plus, we will use a portion of these funds in the current effort here at Crossroads Community Church to minister to refugees. To receive your own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. Well, thanks for joining us today. Please remember to pray for the poor, oppressed, and less fortunate. Until next time, may God bless. Trail, we need, we need.